Bales, bears, and baldies. Oh my. This and more in the ministry of Elijah. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors at Gospel Community Church here in Santa Cruz, California. Welcome, like, subscribe, comment, and so we can get the message out, and uh, like we said last week, fulfill all those uh, algorithm uh, lords that we are looking to appease. Um, That's not syncretism at all, right? (laughs) No. Okay, cool. Just making sure. Awesome. What are we talking about today? Well, we're we're gonna um, finish the book of Kings, that first and second Kings, which is you know one book, one one united book, one scroll, one scroll that got chopped in half, the, for and and then reason. yeah, and then now we don't even have scrolls; they're just cut yeah, in half and just keep placed it, on keep flat page. Yeah, I don't really weird. get it, yeah. but yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna finish this. But like I said last week, we're not going to get into all the details of the Kings. I know that's the whole title of the book. We're we're looking really at the lens of the prophets. Mm. And um, so we're going to just look at the life of Elisha, because Elisha is so significant. Wait, Elijah or Elisha? Elisha. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. not to be confused with Elijah, who was his buddy. Yeah. Um, so we're going to look at his his life, and we're gonna that's going to be our our, our lens mm-hmm. through this book. So we're not going to look at the exile and sort of the end of the book, just because there's a lot to cover. And as I mentioned last week, First and Second Chronicles deal with a lot of the same material. Right. So we're going to look more at the the lives of the kings because it is a very fascinating story. Right. How, how these kings roll out, you know, like Athaliah, the evil queen, the black mm-hmm. widow, I call her. Um, <laughs> there's there's so many fascinating parts of, of that story. But, but Elisha is an amazing character. And he really, in a lot of ways, is going to remind us of Jesus. Double the amazingness of uh, Elijah, huh? Double the power, double the fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course, like, some some bears are making an early appearance. Bears are definitely an early appearance, but I, you know, equate uh, Elisha to um, the superiority of double stuffed Oreos. Yeah, that makes sense. Double the double the spirit, mm. double the stuff. Just saying. I do feel like the intros have just become whatever we like most about the text, not like what's actually important. True, you know. Well, but. So- yeah, that's true. Because the bear's story is like two verses, but it's it very, is classic. Classic, very important. And for all those new Bible readers out there, you're probably asking, what the heck is going on? Yeah, so very strange. Um, good, good, like youth pastor text. Oh, great. Yeah. It's always, always a, a crowd pleaser. Yeah, I'll have our People youth ministry uh, uh, leader, Mikey, uh, preach on that this next week. That'd that's, be great. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I would love to hear that sermon. So we've seen in the book of First and Second Kings... We've seen the beginning was Solomon's reign, right? Mm. This, this golden age of Israel, and he fails. Right. And so because of his failure, the kingdom's going to be split in two. Rehoboam really lives that out in chapter 12. And right. so from 12 to 16, we see the kingdom divided, split between the northern and southern kingdom. This is very important, too, because you're going to hear in the prophets a lot about Israel and Judah. So Israel is that northern kingdom. Judah is the southern kingdom. It right. gets very confusing because you yeah. think Israel must be the like original Southern Kingdom. Yeah, and um, the Northern Kingdoms have zero good kings, right? Yeah. And the Southern have a couple. A couple. Yeah, yeah, a couple that, that do pretty well. Um, so we'll look at that, like I said, in the following weeks. Yeah, don't don't forget that the kingdoms were split because of high taxation. So, high taxation. Yeah. That's important. Keep yeah. those taxes as low as possible. Yeah. Um, that's the lesson we learned. But <laughs> then we see the kings fighting against the prophets, right? Elijah takes center stage, starting in chapter 17 of 1 Kings. And we see his ministry and how he, by the power of God, everything is being shaped. Right. So all these prophecies, uh, these amazing pronouncements. Elijah is a, is a power dealer, and really, I mean, 
Elisha is going to be much more powerful. Mm-hmm. He really does shape world history. Right. He shapes the, the known world of that time through the prophetic word. Mm. So God is in control. So, And then we're at the end of the book of 2 Kings, we see this downward spiral, and the people are in exile at the right. end. Yeah. So that's kind of where the book ends. But um, So let's let's just jump into it. What do you think? I would love to jump into it. Okay. 2 Kings chapter 2, right? 2 Kings chapter 2. This is where we left off. Mm-hmm. We left off with with uh, Elijah, Elijah being taken to heaven. Yep. Right in the Chariots whirlwind. and fire and whirlwind. But yeah, that's how we all want to go. He didn't die. Right? What the heck? He didn't die. Yeah, him and, him and Enoch are the only people that, that didn't die explicitly in, in Scripture. So well, it's kind of kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so Elisha, like we mentioned last week, before Elijah's taken up, he asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit, which refers to double the power of, of Elijah. Mm-hmm. And really... What we're going to see in the in this in this uh, section is Elisha actually performs twice the miracles. Mm-hmm. He even performs two resurrections, right. two resuscitations, two bringing someone back to life. Mm-hmm. And so he he really does kind of double up on everything Elijah does, and he does a lot of miracles. Miracles are not the norm in Scripture, right? There's there's periods of miracles. This is a heavy one, and right. he does miracles that are even dealing with mundane things mm-hmm. to show God's power to bless and also to curse, right? So he has some really interesting stories because of that. So what we see in chapter 2 is after um, Elisha's taken up, Elisha picks up Elijah's cloak and hits the water, and it also parts for him. Mm -hmm. So the same power has been given to him. And he uses his power for blessing and for curse. Mm -hmm. That's what we see right away. Blessing and curse are the power he has. In verses 19 and following, we see that uh, there's a city where there's bad water. Mm-hmm. So the, the water is bad. There's a, there's a problem with it. And so he says, throw, he went and threw salt in the water. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I've healed this water. There's not going to be any more death in the water. <laughs> and that the water was healed. So obviously that's a little counterintuitive. You throw salt in the water, it's kind of ruined. Right. But he's bringing uh, life back to this water. So his word has the power to heal. And, and if you just keep Elisha around, you can save a lot of money on those Brita filters. Oh, so much. So there's a side benefit there. Yeah, so. <laughs> no more, uh, what do they call those, when you're camping, those life straws? Yeah. Yeah, just bring the word of God. You don't need a no life straw. I think all that's a scam. I don't think Brita works. I don't think the life straws work. I think you're just drinking. Whoa, conspiracy like, theory. Yeah. Jeez I think Louise. they just change the color or something. It's, it doesn't really work. Um, <laughs> I don't trust it. Um, and then we see he also has the power to curse those. In verse 23, we see why you shouldn't mess with Elisha. So what happens in verse 23, this is the, this is the classic story right here. It says, he went up there from, from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when they saw them, Insulting. he cursed them Insulting. in the name of the Lord. Yeah. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. Wow, okay. So One, a lot of boys. Okay, this can't be a good story. How can this be good? Well, I don't know that that small boys is the right translation. I, I really don't think that's the right translation. Young, young men is probably a better translation. And them saying go up bald head is not just like, ha ha, he's bald. It's a challenge. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's them mocking the prophet who is a representative of God's word. Mm-hmm. So it's a symbol. Their punishment is a symbol of what happens when we disobey and dishonor God's word. Right. That's what this is really about. So, and yeah, I mean, God has the power over life. He can take life anytime he wants to. So it's a weird story for sure. Have you seen what happens when a bear tears up a man? 
I, I think I watched that one movie with, with Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, I think that exactly. Was, that That's was a great one. Right. What do they call it? Um, what's the name of that movie? The Revenant? Is the Revenant. It's not yes. a, real, a real word. It's a strange think, word. But, yeah. It's like ghost or something like that, right? Uh, is what it means? I don't who know. Knows. Who knows? Revenant. That was intense, though. But 42? I mean, that's a lot of... And that's a lot of work for those bears, too. That's, uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's a bloodbath. Poor, poor bears have to work that hard. Yeah, it's a bloodbath. But the big idea, the big takeaway is that Elisha has the power from God to bless and to curse. Mm. That's the main takeaway. That makes sense. Um, he can bring life and he can bring death. And really, it's not him. It's God's word and, and how we respond to it. Right. Are we going to obey it? Are we going to mock it? Um, that's that's the whole idea. So don't mock God's word. Otherwise, no. one of the prophets will call out bears to tear you up. May, yeah, maybe that's not the direct application. Um, but the principle remains, I guess. Oh, okay. principle. Whatever. Don't yeah, believe you, God can work in miracles today. I see how it is. <laughs> Yeah, I just that would be useful though. A useful <laughs> gift sometimes. Um, so in chapter three, we see that Elisha brings victory for the nation of Israel. Right? The Jehoshaphat calls calls him in, mm-hmm. um, wants to know if they'll have have victory. Right. And what happens is actually, you know, so Elisha prophesies, "You're going to have victory. I'm going to fill up these." these ditches with water. And what happens is the water comes in, it flows in, and the, the Moabite army, when they come up in the morning to the, the field, they see a bunch of water that in the sunrise looks like blood. Mm-hmm. And so they think, oh, the battle's been fought, it's already over, let's go in and take the spoils and let's clean up the mess, right? right. Like they just had perfect timing. And instead, they end up being defeated. Right. So, um, so God uses that to, to entrap them, basically. In chapter four, we see a story that's really reminiscent of Elijah's ministry, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Elisha is ministering to a woman um, who who only has you know a jar of oil, mm-hmm. and um, and you know she has a, she has a son, uh, very very similar to Elijah's story, um, and she's she's in the land of well, so so he tells her to basically get this jar of oil, and he multiplies the oil. He multiplies it in, yep. in a, a bunch of different ways. And that's a good and so, pay off your debts and stuff. Yeah, so he, she uses that. So he that brings this miracle and kind of the mundane stuff, but in a way that brings life to this woman. Mm-hmm. And then we see him in the land of, in the city of Shunem, which is in northern Israel, and uh, he's ministering to this woman who's there, who uh, you know she needs a son. So he he helps. He gives her this miracle miracle that her, her and her husband can have a son, and but then the son dies. Hmm. And so she's she's heartbroken, and Elisha brings the son back to life again. Very reminiscent of Elijah with the the widow in Sidon, mm-hmm. where she, he raised her her son. Right. He's he's doing things like in the end of chapter four, he's healing a deadly stew. So there was they made a pot of stew, and it it had death death in the pot. Right. That there's something wrong with the stew to where it causes death. And so he takes it and he fixes the the, the meal that causes death, yeah. right? Bad so, family recipe, I guess. Yeah, so, yeah, this is like yeah, this is like you know Keith's grilling versus mine. You know, this, wow. Okay, <laughs> I was saying more like the putting the wrong kind of mushrooms in your stew or something like that. Okay, that's probably it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And let's be real. Yours, yours, you're almost you're about as good as mine. Maybe the, we'll see. The, let's the have a student cook-off. has become the challenge master. accepted. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> Um, but he's again, he's doing mundane things with bringing life and blessing to people. And then in verse 42, we see him taking 20 loaves of barley and multiplying it and giving, making it enough to feed 100 men. Right. So Elisha has 
his power to to bless and to bring life mm-hmm. and all of these things. Now, maybe you're already hearing some some hints as to what Jesus is going to do. Right. There's already been quite a few. Chapter 5 is a really interesting story mm-hmm. in the life of Elisha. We have this man, Naaman, who is an influential guy. Right, He's the commander of the armies of Syria. He is an enemy um, of the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, is Naaman has leprosy and so he wants to be healed right so what he does he, he marches with all of his wealth and all of his entourage and all of his power to the king of israel and he demands his healing right verse seven uh the response of the king is great right he tears his clothes and he says am i god to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy <laughs> only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me he says i can't do this I don't know what you want me to do with, with this. And he's afraid because this means he's been put in a position where he is going to fail. Mm-hmm. And so verse 8, when Elisha heard the man of God, had, um, when Elisha the man of God heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman comes with his, with his army and Elisha doesn't even go out to speak to Naaman. He sends a messenger out there. Hmm. And Elisha doesn't do some sort of grand miracle. He instead gives him a task to perform. Hmm. So in, in verse 10, the messenger says, Go and wash in the Jordan, that's the river Jordan, seven times, and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. So a very simple command. Go and wash in this river, right? And that's it. And and Naaman is deeply offended by this. Hmm. And it's so interesting what he says in verse verse twelve, verse eleven. He says, "Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place <laughs> and cure the leper." I thought it was going to be a lot of like pomp and circumstance. I was going to be this big procession, right? Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? <laughs> Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Hmm. So this is beneath this is beneath Naaman. Right. Right. Naaman is the the religious guy who says, Well, that you know, I think it should be done in this way or that way. And the humiliation and the the debasing of yourself that would come if you were to wash in this muddy river in Israel is too much for him. Right. He says, he says, we got better waters out there. I mean, the, the whole point, as we've seen many times, is not the waters of the Jordan. Right. The whole point is the power of God's word. Right. Is Naaman going to submit to God's word, which is also known as faith? Mm-hmm. Is he going to trust in God's word and do this thing, believing that God can fulfill his promise, or is he going to go his own way? Right. So so his, his servants respond, right? He say, my father, it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Hmm. Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? It's, it's a simple thing, right? Why not at least try it? Right. And so that's what he does. He goes and he washes himself seven times, and his flesh is restored. He's right. healed completely. Right. Um, it became like the flesh of a little child, so it's kind of baby soft skin. Mm. So... Um, so, <laughs> yeah, like baby face name, and I don't know what they call them. Not. Um, baby face name. <laughs> so, so it's interesting because Naaman's whole philosophy, his whole approach is there's a certain way religion should be done, that um, power and authority and wealth should command right. the powers of, of God. And what he realizes is that he has to humble himself, become like anyone else, mm. right? become, become naked and be cleansed by the grace of God, um, by, by the power of God's word. 
And so what what happens after that is he he approaches Elijah and says or Elisha and says, I want to give you a gift. I want to pay for this this miracle. Mm-hmm. And, and he's, what he says in verse 15 is pretty incredible. <clears throat> Naaman says, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth right. but in Israel. Um, he, this man is converted. Right. Uh, he is, he's a believer in Yahweh. He's not just mm-hmm. saying that Yahweh is great. He's saying there's no God but Yahweh. Right. So he understands what this, what this means. And so he offers a gift, but uh, Elisha refuses to mm-hmm. take the gift. Um, and he, in, in verse 17, he asks for something. He says, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. Mm. So he asks for dirt to be given to him so he can take dirt from the promised land, go back to his country, and put that down in order to build an altar, to build a you know, way to worship God. Mm. And um, this is, it's incredible faith that he understands that this is the land that God has has promised that this is where God's promise lies. Right. And so he's, this is his way of trusting in God. And he actually asks for forgiveness um, because he's still going to have to, as a, as a Syrian you know, leader, he's going to still have to go into the, the temples of false idols with his master, with the king. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he's, he's asking for forgiveness that he's, he has to stand in that place while others bow and worship the false idols. So it's a really interesting Yeah. Uh, conversion story for someone who is a, a powerful, powerful man. But then we got Gehazi. Mm, Gehazi. Gehazi. Gehazi sees an opportunity here to make a quick buck. Now, who is Gehazi? Gehazi is Elisha's disciple, right? His <laughs> his follower, his servant. And so Gehazi says, I mean, you have a really wealthy guy coming here. It's no big deal for him to give a present to El- Elisha. So Gehazi is going to capitalize on this, Right. right? No harm, no foul. In fact, he doesn't ask him for that much. What he does is he chases after him, and Naaman sees him coming, and, and he says, hey, is everything okay? He says, oh, my, my master asked for a couple sets of clothing and for silver for some, some men who are here. Mm-hmm. Right? I just don't want to pass that along. Can you give a little bit? So he takes that, and, um, and actually Naaman urges more money on him. And when he comes back, Elisha says... Basically, like, didn't you know I was going to see what had happened? I hate that my spirit went with you, that I saw this happening. And so he condemns his, uh, his descendants to have leprosy. Yeah. The leprosy of Naaman goes on Gehazi um, because he misunderstood the grace of God. That right. This is a free gift that cannot be purchased. Yeah. So what's the deal with that? Why would, why would the punishment be so harsh as to have descendants of uh, this guy to have leprosy? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's messed up, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, but his sin is affecting his generations to come, right? All, all our sins do that, right? They all bring an effect on people after us. Yeah, you see, it foremost in Adam, right? Yeah, so the whole world's thrown into destruction. So and you see it like in the immediate, you know, aspects of your life, like your sin. You think it like it tricks you, right, to think that oh, my sin doesn't affect other people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but it clearly does, and you see that again and again in Scripture. Yeah. So, yeah. So Gehazi is that reminder of. Well, obviously the sin of greed, mm-hmm. but really just the idea of God's grace is always free. Mm. You cannot purchase it, right? right. Like in, in Acts, when Simon the magician wants to buy the Holy Spirit, and, and Peter says, your money perish with you. Right. You thought you could buy the, the gift of God with money? Mm-hmm. So Elisha's trying to make clear to everyone that this is a free gift. Right. And I mean, yeah, we'll, t- we'll look at later how that ties into the gospel. But it's probably pretty clear to a lot of people that are listening. 
how that ties into the gospel. Yeah. So, okay. I don't know what's up with chapter six. I mean, I guess we can kind of make some assumptions, but it's pretty great, right? Uh-huh. Chapter six, we see that somebody's working on some stuff for the prophets, <laughs> and he uh, he chopping something, and his axe head falls off. It was a borrowed axe head, right? Yeah, I was so afraid that um, this would happen with um, one of my sledgehammers, you know, while we're building that tent. Oh, yeah. Because we're doing services tent. outside. But Yeah, when the, when the head flies off. Yeah, and... and Sinks in the, in yeah, the ocean. Yeah, sinks in the, the gopher hole in the lawn, yeah. you know? So. Yeah, so, uh, so Elisha cares enough to do a miracle, right? He cut off a stick and throws it, and the iron floats. Like, Incredible. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Incredible how. miracle. Def- defying All physics. bow down and worship the Lord God. Yeah, it's like a $2 axe head. Or, <laughs> iron know. floats. Actually, it's probably expensive back then. Iron, that was probably a big deal. But So, yeah, just m- m- mundane miracles. We'll talk about this a little bit later, how it, how it relates to, to Jesus. And then there's this great account of Chariots of Fire. They appear again. The movie? Yes, that's a great movie. It's a great movie. Mm. No, not that. Um, <laughs> so what happens is Elisha is, he's so powerful, he knows the thoughts of enemy kings, mm. right? So what happens is the king of Syria can't figure out why every time he tries to you know, make a maneuver against king of Israel, that every time he gets stopped. And the servants of, of uh, the king right, mm-hmm. say, well, the, the problem is we, Elisha knows the words that you're saying. Um, he tells the king's, king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. He's the ultimate spy right. because he can hear anything that God will reveal to him. So, so what he does is he goes and against the city, uh, mm-hmm. Dothan, and is going to conquer the city to kill Elisha. So that's, that's the mission. And Elisha is talking with his servants and the servant is is freaking out, right? So in verse verse uh, fifteen, it says, "Alas, my master, what shall we do?" And Elisha says, "Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are mo- more than those who are with them." Mm. And and it's like objectively false, right? right. And this massive army surrounding mm-hmm. your city, you're in this little city, there's no one there, right? Not by comparison. And Elisha, verse seventeen, prays and says, "Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see." So the Lord opened his eyes, the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So the, the armies of God are there, right? And, th- and this is a reminder of that when Elijah was taken up to heaven, right? It's a reminder that the, the power of God resides in his prophets. Hmm. So when Elisha's taken up, Elijah, or Elijah's taken up, Elisha actually says, the chariots of the Lord and their horses and and I, what I heard someone say recently is, he it seems like he's actually saying that about Elijah. Mm. That Elijah was the power of Israel. These are the chariots of, of Israel. Mm. This is the power of Israel was residing in, in Elijah. And it's the same for Elisha here. He's got God's armies with him. And so what happens is that as the army is trying to attack, he prays for them to be blinded. Mm-hmm. They are blinded, <laughs> and he goes out and leads them by the hand. You know, oh, this is the wrong way, guys. Come this way, and <laughs> leads them into the city of Samaria, mm. where they are entrapped. They're disarmed and they're trapped. And then he asks for them, their eyes to be opened, mm. and they see this whole army is has been taken captive, right? Without any any blood being spilled. And so the king is like, "Yeah, should I should I kill them now, Elisha?" And he <laughs> says, "No, you what? what? They're prisoners of war. No, f- let's feed them." So he's gracious to them. He feeds the enemy army, and then he sends them back. Right. Um, which, again, is just a, an ultimate power move. Right. And Pretty that awesome. those guys never attack 
Israel again. Yeah. <laughs> Those guys are so. done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Term made blind. Yeah, no. <laughs> but the second half of, uh, so the, the war with Syria is still not done, though, sadly. So the, the second half of chapter six, we see there's a siege against the city of Samaria, and the, the king of Israel is very depressed because he goes out for a walk on the wall. And I mean, it says, it, th- think about this, right? It says, verse 25, there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it. So in other words, a siege is you can't get food in or out. Right. So there's no food. And so it says, a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. That's a lot of money. I mean, why would That's you like buy a That's like buying a piece of land or something. Yeah. And yeah, donkey head, like, mmm, yay. Yeah. And the fourth part of a cob of dove's, dove's dung for five shekels of silver. So <laughs> people are buying poop and they're buying heads of donkeys in order to eat. Mm. So this is, I mean, it's very disgusting and desperate. Right. So you, I don't know, you guess you boil the donkey's head and try to get some meat off of it. I'm sure it's, the eyeballs are good. Yeah. No. I'm sure. I'm sure there's something good there. And then he's walking along and he hears a woman that's angry with uh, angry and says to the king, I want you to do justice for me because um, me and this woman agreed that we were going to eat my son today and then we'll eat her son tomorrow. <laughs> and we ate my son and now she won't give me any of her son. So <laughs> awful, awful, horrible stuff. Right. And that, that's how desperate they are. And so in chapter seven, Elisha promises to them, he, he predicts a miracle, right? In, in chapter seven, verse one, he says, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gates of Samaria. In other words, food's going to be very, very cheap. Right. There's going to be plenty of food. You won't worry about it at all. And the captain who's there mocked him saying, I mean, how could this thing be? God opens the floodgates of heaven. This, could, this thing couldn't be. Hmm. And what we have is, I, I love this little, this little story in chapter seven where there's these four lepers so the story goes from from you know focusing on the the big picture. Just these four ordinary men. They're they're sick. They're desperate. They're just poor, dying lepers. Right. And they they basically have this conversation in verse four. And you know they say basically if if we go into the city, we're gonna die. Mm-hmm. Right. In the city, there's no food. There's no hope there. And if we go to the Samaritan or sorry the Syrians, then we'll also die. So. But maybe the Syrians will actually be merciful to us because they actually have food. Mm-hmm. You never know, right? <laughs> so, YOLO, right? Let's let's just go out there. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and what had happened that night was says in verse six. It says, "The Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to each other, Behold, the Israelites have hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come up against us, and they abandoned everything.' Mm. So God." Again, is in control, drives the army off without any any you know warfare, and in verse eight we see these these lepers, they're walking into tents, they're picking up silver and gold, and they're eating. They're just, I mean, they're having a party, right? This huge camp where everything has been left behind. But verse nine is is really interesting. So these, these men are desperate, but then they turn into wealthy people overnight, right. um, and then they be, they have to become proclaimers of the truth. So in verse nine, they said to each other. We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we're silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they, they have to convince the king's household, the city. There's no army there. There's just life and abundance right. and spoils, and you can get whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And, and they end up doing that. And 
there's a, a mad run on all of the, the goods that are out in the, mm-hmm. in the plane. So it's, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting uh, story, right? And we'll see again how that, again, I think that should be pretty clear how that connects to the, the gospel. Right. Since they literally use the, the word gospel, they say good news. Right. Um, but it's a pretty, pretty amazing story of how God can provide and of the importance placed on us yeah. to share that with others. Yeah, chapter 8. Chapter 8, um, we see Elisha anointing Hazael. So Hazael was a... Remember, this is the one that Elijah was told to anoint right. way back in First Kings mm-hmm. uh, 19. And Elisha is finally anointing him. And Hazael actually comes to, to Elisha to see if his, his king, Ben-Hadad, who's sick, will be healed. Mm-hmm. And Elisha says, uh, you know, Elisha says basically, oh yeah, um, go tell him, verse 10, go tell him you'll recover but the Lord has shown me that he will die. Mm-hmm. So just go ahead and tell him that, but he's going to die. Mm-hmm. And then in verse 11, I, lo- I love this, and he fixed his gaze and stared at him <laughs> until he was embarrassed, and the man of God wept. <laughs> so he just gives him this stare down, right, for like an exceedingly long time until Hazel can't stand anymore, and then he starts weeping. So it just further affirms the prophets are always kind of weird Brett dudes, you know? Yep. But he says the reason he's weeping is because he says, I know the evil you will do to the people of Israel. Mm. And Hazel doesn't get it. Why, why am I going to do evil? And he says, because you're going to become king. Mm. So Hazel takes that to heart, goes home and murders Ben-Hadad um, in his sleep. and uh, Or I don't know if it's in his sleep. But it, So Elisha, we see again, Elisha is influencing who will be king in Syria. Right. He's influencing the commander of the Syrian army. Yep. Uh, in the next chapter, he's going to anoint Jehu to be the king of Israel. Mm-hmm. He is in charge of, of everything that's happening. Yeah. And really, it's God's word that is in charge. Right. So it's, it stems from the mundane, from an axe head, or from feeding a group of people to the, the big picture. Right. God's over all of it. So in chapter 9, we'll, just, we'll end with chapter 9, but Elisha sends one of his prophets to anoint Jehu, and he sends, he sends a ninja prophet, right? Because in verse this 3, he says, he says, you know, once you do it, just run. Just get out of there as fast <laughs> as you can. So he does. He 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 prophesies that Jehu is going to kill um, all these evil people in the line of Ahab, and he's going to qu- kill Queen Jezebel. Mm-hmm. And so that does, and um, uh, Jezebel is eaten by the dogs. In fact, it says in verse 35, um, so, so basically what happens is they throw her out of the window. They defenestrate her. Mm-hmm. That's a great word. Yeah. Um, they throw her out the window. She dies, and it says... Wait, we have to. We should probably bury her, right? Uh, she's a king's. She's a king's daughter. <laughs> we should bury her. It's been a couple of hours. They go out there, and it says in in uh, verse thirty five. When they went to bury her, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. <laughs> so the the you know just none of her is left because she was eaten by the dogs mm. out in the open. A horrible, horrifying end to your life. So that's that's the ministry of Elisha in a nutshell. Wow, great ministry. If if only more uh, ministers today would have ministries like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, maybe not. Colorful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess it is colorful. Yeah, that's a good good word for it. Okay, how does the gospel connect to these stories? We've alluded to a couple of them. We've talked about some of them, but there's so much good stuff and and how the gospel is seen even here in the ministry of Elisha. Yeah, I always think so. Let's take Naaman first, right? Naaman's story it, it reminds us of the offense of the gospel, as I kind of alluded to already. The fact that Naaman doesn't want to do what um, what the Word of God says he should do. Right. What what Elisha tells him to do in obeying God is a reminder that 
God's grace is often offensive to us. Mm. Right? It puts us in a position of being a beggar, of saying, you have nothing, um, you've only offended God, and so therefore you must submit to God's will. And for, for so many people, they can't do that. Right. They can't bring themselves to say, I'm really a bad person, I'm in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. And so I, I thought of 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22. It says, the, the Jews demand signs and Greeks dem- seek wisdom. I mean, really, Naaman was seeking wisdom, right. some powerful thing, kind of both of those. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. So just that, that posture of having to submit to, to God to receive from God mm-hmm. as a beggar was a difficult thing for yeah. Naaman, and yeah. it's difficult for us too. Yeah, it, it's as I mentioned at the beginning. It's also it's would be impossible to miss some of the connections between Elisha and Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I'll point out a, a handful of them. I'm sure there's more than what I have. Um, some of them I, that I was researching, I wasn't entirely convinced. Mm-hmm. So I just want to bring the ones I think are very clear. Right. Well, one is that the connection between Elisha's name and Jesus's name. Mm. So Elisha's name means God is salvation, and Jesus is, is the name Joshua mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, which means the Lord is salvation. Mm. So obviously those both refer to the same person, God and the Lord are the same person. Um, both of uh, Jesus and Elisha have a forerunner, someone who comes yep. before them to prepare the way for them. John the Baptist. Elijah yeah. and John the Baptist. And yeah. Elijah and John the Baptist are connected, as we saw last week. Right. They're, they're seen as, as having the same spirit, the same kind of ministry. Um, also, Elijah's ministry was much more about repentance, and Elisha's was more about God's salvation. Hmm. So there's, this, there's a connection there between the ministry of John the Baptist and the ministry of, of Jesus. Hmm. Both Elisha and Jesus have a treacherous disciple. Yeah. Elijah, Elisha has Gehazi, and Jesus has Judas. Hmm. And both of them, the sin that leads them to betray their master is greed. Right. It's greed, right? It's wanting money, specifically silver. Right. Uh, Elisha receives his mission on the far side of the Jordan. Jesus also is baptized in the Jordan. That's when his ministry starts. Mm. So that the beginning of the ministry is very, very similar. Both raise a dead son right. of a woman. And and actually it happens in neighboring towns. Mm. Shunem and the and the city of Nain, where Jesus raises the, the dead boy, are neighboring towns. Mm. So that's clear, clear um, echoes of the ministry of Elisha. Mm. Both of them multiply loaves to feed people. Right. Jesus does that at a much bigger scale, but they both do it. They and both yeah. make axe heads float. <laughs> well, some will say that actually both defy gravity. <laughs> and so, again, it's a little bit of a stretch, but Elijah, Elisha makes the axe head float. Jesus makes Peter walk on water. Mm. Um, you know, both water and, and something that's not Fair. possible in physics. A little bit of a stretch. A little but, bit of a stretch. Yeah. But, but both multiply liquid, right? right? Jesus multiplies wine. Elisha multiplies oil. Both heal the sick. Both cleanse lepers. Mm-hmm. Um, both give sight to the blind. Yep. And um, and really, I think one of the biggest ones is actually in 2 Kings chapter 13. So we didn't go here. As I mentioned, there's just a lot in, in 2 Kings that we're going to see echoed in First and Second Chronicles. So I don't want to cover all of it. But in 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, we see a really interesting comment that's made. So this is after Elisha dies, he's buried, and it says um, in verse chapter 13, verse 20, So Elisha died, and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen 
and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. So, so, so what happens is they're, they're having a funeral procession, and, the, and this guy's dead, and they're seeing raiders coming you know, to attack them, and so they need to hide. So they just take the dead guy, and they throw him off the stretcher, and he happens to land in the grave of Elisha. And it says, as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. So, so that, now this, I mean, again, maybe... Somebody thinks it's a little bit of a stretch, but I don't, think, I don't think it's a stretch. Think about what's happening here. You have the death of Elisha bringing life. His tomb brings life mm, to others. Yeah. And it's, it's obviously just one person, just one time, but it's a very significant reminder of what Jesus is all about, right. bringing life out of death. So, mm. And then, of course, the last thing, I, I, you, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the, the lepers and their, their good news that they had. Oh, and this, out, yeah. this reminder, you know, that they said that this is a day of good news. If we're silent, we wait till the morning, punishment will overtake us. If we have good news as Christians, which we do, mm-hmm. that's what the gospel is all about. If we have good news, which is we were desperate, now we're wealthy. Mm. We've been given infinite riches by God, more than we could possibly handle. We have to proclaim that to others. Right. We have to share that good news. So there, there are so many connections in this passage, but those are a few of the big ones. That's awesome. Well, amen to the gospel and uh, amen to God's grace and his, uh, yeah, his redemption of even, you know, a crazy broken world here that we've seen, you know, first and second Kings and the crazy broken world we see today. God is in control. His word is powerful and uh, yeah, his gospel is good news in, indeed. So amen. that's all we got for today. And uh, thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through his uh, word and his son, Jesus Christ.